Hello, my name is Sarah Lynn Bowser, and I'm the Programs Manager for Ambassador Animals at the Oakland Zoo. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my raw safari. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Rasafari Podcast. Y'all, I have been so impressed by the Oakland Zoo lately. They are such an amazing facility, and in the last two weeks, I have done two different zoo news stories about some of the amazing work that they are doing with their native wildlife uh, at the Oakland Zoo. And uh, so if you haven't heard those, you should go back and listen. But because Oakland Zoo has been popping off lately, uh, I decided that it was time to drop my second episode with Sarah Lynn Bowser from the Oakland Zoo. Now, my first episode with Sarah Lynn is one of the most popular that I have done. And uh, if you don't recognize the name, you should definitely check that one out as well. But um. Sarah just does some really amazing work, not just with animals, but with herself and how she thinks about animals. This is a person who has come up with some seriously cool, seriously unique uh, ideas on just how to enrich the lives of animals as much as possible. She's also really amazing on social media, so you can follow her at Sarah Lynn Bowser and um, just see all kinds of cool stuff about who she is and, and how she thinks. So this episode was recorded back at the AZA podcast, and um, it was uh, really kind of fun because we didn't really know where to record. We actually started off recording her part of the AZA conference recap episode from back when the conference was running, and we had gotten set up, and we recorded our stuff, and then towards the end of that, it became obvious that we could not stay where we were to record this episode because there was a crew from the event center like breaking down chairs and yelling loudly to each other and i don't know if you guys know this but that makes it really really tough to record so um we snuck into a room and set up in there and recorded and it was very like guerrilla warfare style podcasting and it was a lot of fun until someone came into that room and seemed kind of surprised that we existed and um whoops but it it was fine everything was fine and we got this episode in which also features zoe because she was there and we were talking behavior and uh who better um so yeah well we were talking behavior and then also kind of throwing me under the bus at one point so you have that to look forward to And actually, I have to say, I think this is one of the first times ever that I have done an episode where we really only talk about one animal, but we do it almost the whole time. Jenny, the sulfur-crested cockatoo, uh, is the star of this show, and um, 
from from what I I've been told that was uh, that was her personality always. So I'm excited to share all of this with you. So real quick, let me remind you to make sure that you hit subscribe, make sure that you rate and review, make sure that you follow along on socials at Rossafari and on TikTok at Rossafari Pod, and uh, also that you can support the podcast for as little as three dollars a month by going to patreon.com slash rossafari and i'd like to say thank you at this time to all of my patrons especially my red panda level patrons dr laura shank dr stephen williamson and barbara bennett and uh yeah without further ado let's get to my interview with sarah lynn bowser of the oakland zoo Welcome back. Hello. It's so good to have you back. I know. So um, last time we did a very much normal Ross Safari where it was who are you and why do you do this and why are opossum the best and, and all of that stuff. Of course. We could do a whole episode just on, on that. Obviously. But, and as we left, mm-hmm. as I walked away from you and went to explore your lovely zoo, you and I started talking about some stuff dealing with behavior mm-hmm. and, and specifically choice and control stuff, but other things as well. And as you talked to me, mm-hmm. I was literally so mad that I wasn't <laughs> recording. I was just like, this is not fair. This is so cool. This is such neat stuff. Yeah. I appreciated you sharing it all with me, but like microphones. Right. So now we yes. are together again yes. in beautiful Columbus, Ohio I know. for the AZA conference. And, um, I thought we could talk about some of that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So um, let's just give a quick overview of like what your job is and stuff, mm-hmm. just in case people didn't hear the first episode, which if you didn't hear the first episode, go listen to the first episode. It's it's a really good one. Um, but, and just, yeah, let people know a little bit more about what you do and then we'll dive into this. Right. So what I have the wonderful pleasure of doing at the Oakland Zoo is I basically run and oversee all of our educational programming that features our ambassador animals. And ambassador animals, these are animals that we often have a lot of free contact with. These are the animals you might see when someone has a program. We have snakes or birds or other things, even the animals that if you ever go somewhere and there's a petting yard or a contact yard, those are all ambassador animals as well. Uh, so I get the opportunity to really help people make sometimes some of the first connections they've ever had with these animals, often very lifelong, very lasting connections. And it's a really wonderful honor to get to not only get to work with the animal side, but also a lot of the people side and a lot of the teaching and things and really a lot of joy that comes with that. Awesome. Yeah, very good. And you you very much love what you do. That Thank was very you. evident. Um, and, uh, you know, before we get into this, this other topic, mm-hmm. on a more personal level, you've had a change in your life since the last time you were on the podcast. Yeah. The entire gross internet world that tried to message you until you made it so you can't anymore yeah. is now in mourning because <laughs> you are engaged. Yeah. It's so exciting. Yeah, I wanted yeah. to say congratulations Thank to you. you and also let everyone know. Stay away. She's yes. taken, folks. <laughs> yes. Um, it, I, have I ever told you how it happened or what that process like looked like for the actual engagement part? It's I, very on brand. I mean, I saw, I saw like you posted. Stuff, right. But like tell, tell people. Um, so the thing that was very funny about this whole experience is so both my fiance and I are not very into super public things like that. Um, 
he and I had obviously had a discussion about, you know, being ready to be able to be engaged. But the way that it happened was we went back. He and I originally met at the Fernbank Museum of Natural History in Atlanta, Georgia. And he helped care for all of the reptiles inside the museum. And I was an interpretive ranger outside. And the way that, which I realized when I told other people this, um, they were like, Sarah, that doesn't make any sense. The way we flirted with each other was I taught him how to make casts of mammal tracks. <laughs> And he would make really subtle references in reptile talks to flirt with me. That is how this works. Um, and I cannot, I realize I tried to tell somebody something once and they're like, Sarah, that doesn't make any sense. And I was like, if you were there in the moment, you would understand. Anyways, it all worked out. But that's how we flirted with each other. And it was very successful. And, <laughs> and so, you know, years you know, later, we go back. Um, we were going to be there for another friend's wedding. We go back to the Fernwick Museum. My old boss is there. I got to see places where I had gone and rescued plants. And there was a restoration area. And we were trying to find snakes. And we used to have, there were a lot of ringneck snakes in that area also. And what we did is we were looking for snakes, looking for snakes, just walking around. It's just my boss and two other people that helped manage the forest. And my boss knew what was going on. And I wasn't 100% sure, but, you know, I knew that at some point it was going to happen. And so I had gotten a decay's little brown snake, and I was so excited, and he was very cute. And I, right before I went to go put him back, he must on me, which is fine, and it happens. <laughs> However, I go to put him back, and I'm putting him on the ground, and I turn around, and that was when Zach was on one knee, and he had proposed to me. And so my immediate response was, I can't take it. I have snake musk on my hand. <laughs> and, and they say romance is dead. And then there's a photo of us hugging where my arm, my hand, my left hand is out. And that's usually in most pictures. It's where you're looking at the ring that's so lovely. My hand was damp. That is why I was not physically touching him like that. I had to go, like, wash my hands and do all that stuff before even putting it on. To where, like, an hour later, my boss is like, did you even say yes? And I was like, oh, yeah, no, for sure. Like, definitely yes. But I don't think I actually said yes. My immediate response was, I have snake musk on me. And apparently that also means yes in this context. So that is the story. And I thought you would get a kick yes, out of it. I um, love it so much. And told, it is. It's very on brand. When I told my mom, she was like, yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, and I was like, it, it works. It yeah. Works. That's awesome. <laughs> very cool. Oh, I'm excited. Um, and so, yeah. Um, have you figured out who's going to be the ringneck snake bearer yet? That's <laughs> yeah. pretty cute. We we haven't figured a lot of that out yet. Um, it's something that will we have everybody's the day we got engaged. They're like, "Did you pick a date?" And I was like, "We just did step one. Mm -hmm. Hang on." So we still haven't figured that out, but we'll likely get married uh, in Georgia because that's closer to where some of my family is, cool. and probably have it very small just because it's something that we're both more comfortable with. Right. But, Oh, but you wait until you are at your wedding, like at the reception. Yeah. And somebody's like, so when are you having kids? Like, they, they just put, it's always a push. It's just, just always a push. One at a time. <laughs> one thing at a time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Very cool. So let's get into this whole, you know, choice control, yeah. cool things that you did. And the first thing that I want to talk about is, is the painting. And I know that you know what I mean, yes. so you talk. You can describe it better than yes. me. Yes, so the painting that we're talking about is with one of our ambassador animals. Her name is Jenny, and she is a sulfur-crested cockatoo that has been at the zoo since the 70s. Uh, so she's been around for a long time. And one of the things that she taught was taught as kind of an enrichment element was the ability to paint. And it isn't necessarily in the way that we usually always see animals painting where maybe there is paint on a surface and they step through it and then they run across the canvas. No, Jenny has her own brush, 
And I made her her own little go bag with all of her paints set up in little kid cups. So at a moment's notice, we can like open it and we can take her different places. And the way that the behavior essentially works is she is on her perch. I will hand her, we have this whole block that has different sets of colors on it. And she is able to indicate which color it is that she would like. I put that color on the brush for her and I hand her the brush. And then she goes over and she will swipe that brush onto her canvas. And when I started doing this behavior with her, I started, I always want to take her different places. And I started noticing she was not always picking the same color. She, it would change. And then I started looking at where we were and what color she was picking. And I started to notice that they tended to line up where we would have someone, we once had someone who we were doing a painting for him because it was his last day and he was wearing this like bright neon uh, like fanny pack and the shirt color and all of the colors that Jenny picked that day were colors he was physically wearing. He was the odd thing out in the area that we were in. We've done it where I've painted with her in the courtyard where we did our first interview together and I noticed the colors from the umbrellas were very present. Or when we had teen volunteers who wear these teal shirts, they were watching. A lot of teal was present. And so what I've started doing is not only documenting um, with photos what the paintings look like, but also her view from her perch. I've also gone a little bit further because I want to make sure that when she's doing this behavior that she's not just doing it because... I want her to do it, that I'm giving her a reward for doing this, but that it's something that she is interested in doing. And so I've started actually recording the number of times she's picking a color. She will also tell me that she's done. She will just drop it. Like she doesn't (laughs) have to take it at the same time. I actually have a paint stain on my work shoes. I have green paint because she dropped it on my foot. And I was just like, okay, we're done. That's fine. (laughs) And that's okay. That's perfectly fine. And But I've also started recording not just how many different colors she selects, but how many individual paint strokes she's using when she gets a color. Because she can, she's stood there, I think our record is five, where she has gone back and forth and doing multiple strokes. And it depends on the day, but it's something that we're documenting with her and just really wanting to see how we can make this the best experience for her. And then also working towards not only is she able to pick her own colors, but where she will hopefully be able to be trained Um, which we're still working on, um, being able to create this own board where she can pick what it is that she wants to do and including painting as an option or puzzles as an option or something else as an option and just trying to give her as much choice and ability to pick the activities that we like and not just picking it for her because I think painting is cute. Right. So Painting, to be fair, is cute. Is cute, which is, you know, but she might not want to do it. No, right. That's fair. That's fair. And and so um, you did want to make a disclaimer Mm -hmm. right now. So go ahead and let's just put that out. My disclaimer is everything that I'm saying is based off my own personal observation and that as I talk about um, my observations, this is not necessarily something that has been through rigorous research, but it is based on my own personal experiences with these individuals. Yes. So that's the disclaimer. Yes, yes, which is true of everything on this podcast, really. So, you know, that's fair. But yes, but it does seem like she is painting. She's inspired by her environment. Mm -hmm. I don't want to overdo it. I don't want to say like, oh, she's painting her environment or whatever. But like the inspiration is there, which is cool. It's really interesting, too, just to even see the variations in the color that she uses and how it adapts to the different area that she is in that then at least to me leads to she's not picking random colors. 
So she's not just picking something for the sake of getting a treat. There is, there seems to be intentionality behind the colors that she's choosing and how it's relating to her environment. And so that is kind of another step in thinking about is this an experience that she's actually engaging in and actually potentially enjoying versus, okay, hurry up, I really want to get like a sunflower seed. Right. Because then she'd just pick any old color. Right. Can I just talk into your chest? Yeah. Does that work? <laughs> yeah, it's romantic. Yeah. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask a follow-up question yeah. about the painting. Yeah. Um, so at this point, it sounds like it's a pretty established behavior that she like knows the routine. She picks a color. She gets the brush. She mm-hmm. paints. When or how often do you reward during that process? It's variable. Okay. <laughs> yes. So we have variable reinforcement. Okay. And part of that is because it is such an established behavior and we want to make sure that it is in itself reinforcing. So originally when she was first taught it, it was pretty much after everything. But now we'll kind of do it to where I might only give her something a little bit throughout. I also get distracted. And that happens. One time, we both had snacks at the same time. And so that was fun. Um, But so I we did. We had snacks. I had uh, ice cream. And she had things. And then that was, see, that's when people wander through the courtyard and see me actively eating ice cream and handing her a paintbrush. And that's when I really think nobody understands what my job is. And it also (laughs) makes me question it, too. But we had these teens, like, walk through and they're like, what's going on? And I'm just like eating ice cream. Like, Jenny, it's beautiful. You're doing so well. Um, But we do variable reinforcement. Um, It's not consistent anymore. I I always feel like going, going back to what you were saying about Mm -hmm. that experience of like people being like, what? Yeah. I always say, I actually, um, Erica Allen, who I got to see today, Mm -hmm. um, is a, um, uh, dolphin and and walrus keeper at the Indianapolis Zoo. And I met her early on in this when everything was still like new and fresh to me. And I had this experience where to go to where we were recording, we had to walk the whole behind the scenes dolphin area, right? And here is this woman walking. And as she walked, the lights were coming on. And all of the dolphins were swimming up to try to get Mm -hmm. her attention. And I was like, she's a freaking Disney princess. Like what, how, what? Now I understand it all. But at the time I was literally like, I feel this, this, if I saw this in a movie, I would be like, this is stupid. This is not what zoos are like. And I'm watching it happen. And I'm still, every time I talk to her, even to the stamp, still kind of like, this is so weird. You're such a neat person. Cause like that, but that's just her job. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think that that's one thing that I remember teaching with kids and they're always like, you must be a princess. How do you do that? Because the animal comes to you. If you, you know, or even sometimes when you're trying to do something and they're bam, like right there and you're like, stay focused. Like we have to, we have to stay focused right now. Um, And I try to tell people that it isn't witchcraft, but it is relationship and trust. And it is, when I think of Jenny, it took me over about a year to genuinely have the relationship that we do. And that is based on kind of this mutual trust that we have in each other. That is based on me making sure that she feels safe in every interaction that we have, prioritizing time spent with her. And are there snacks involved? Absolutely. But then as that relationship was built, physical contact for her is another reinforcer. And so that's something to where she now will actively seek out physical contact. And we had to work to get there because sometimes it would be dangerous for my fingers if she wasn't emotionally ready for that. Um, But so this is something that it isn't magic, but it is work. And there's a reason behind it. 
and that's another reason why in our programming, I will, there is no circumstance where I would put you in free contact with Jenny, where the first time you got to meet her, there was a fence line in between us. And I think I described it as prioritizing everybody's safety in that situation, yours and hers. Yes. You are new to her. She is new to you. You don't have that relationship there yet, and that's okay. But that's where we tend to be a little bit cautious, even when we think of animals like snakes. And this is something that actually came out, and you might hear me talk a little bit about it on Thursday. When working with snakes, a lot of people don't realize that, uh, and there is a study that was done, and I cannot remember what it is, but hopefully you can find it after, where in environments where snakes were routinely given active enrichment, um, they were then showing signs that they could actually recognize different human smells. So they could tell the difference between me and you. And that when it kind of led into this ability to kind of recognize that they can tell the difference between us, but not necessarily the same way that Jenny might be excited to see me, the snakes kind of end up just being like, okay, cool, she's safe, kind of like a rock. So I become as important as a rock, which is actually a very high compliment, I feel like in a snake (laughs) realm of I have reached neutrality, and that's excellent. I am so safe as a rock. I'm harmless, right? right? So this happened when I was actually leading uh, a program with middle schoolers and working with this enrichment board where these snakes got to engage when this one snake, Nuba, and you'll see pictures coming up, um, where Nuba, no matter what we did, he did not want to be on the board. And that's fine. Where he wanted to be was on my shoe. No matter where I stood, he is a two and a half foot long ball python who, no matter where he was, I would move and he would want to be around my shoe. So there's actually a photo in the presentation of him halfway wrapped around my shoe And it was really funny because it became this conversation of why is he coming towards me? What is this? And I would talk with him and say, with our middle schoolers and say, what do you think is happening? And in our camps, they, we all have animal names. So mine is obviously a possum. So they'd be like, well, a possum, you're, you're the safe place. Nuba knows that you're safe. And we would talk about that. And that was a way that we had this conversation of empathy and how he has this recognition of what becomes safe and maybe why I'm not going to put him in a relationship or in a, in a situation to feel unsafe. To where even at the end of one of these, we had one of our snakes up on the board hanging out and some of the kids go, can we touch him? And then another kid stepped in and said, actually, if he's comfortable, just leave him alone. He, it, it's not important for us to touch him. And so just the ability to show like the individ- individualistic nature of what safety means, what those relationships look like, and watching them kind of manifest in that way was so much fun. And there's actually a picture that I know somebody has, um, but it is not in a presentation where I'm actually sitting on the ground next to this empty enrichment board because Nuba has actually wrapped himself completely around my body. <laughs> and I'm just sitting and I just continue to talk because I was like, yeah, that's where he wants to be. He's just going to hang out. But it actually did scare a teacher who came around the corner and was like, where did the snake go? And they're like, oh my God, he's right, like literally underneath my leg. And it was fine. He was just kind of hanging out. And then we hung out there together and I would have to wait for him to safely move away. Um, but I became, the, and they, for a long time, I was like, I'm pretty sure it has to do with the texture of my shoes. But if you ask the kids, they're like, no, a possum is just the safest place that you can be. And then it was really sweet because I'm like, the relationship I've made is so great. And so that is really I cool. No, Otherwise, that's really I would talk cool. about it all the time. But, but tell me for a second, for people who are listening who might not know, what do you mean when you, you, you keep talking about a snake board? Yes. And I don't want people picturing just like a board where you hang a bunch of snakes that you can grab for, you know. That is not what it no, is. No. <laughs> no. So what is a snake board? Um, so basically, <laughs> when you talk about a snake board, it's an enrichment board. And historically, what they basically are, think of just about a big old piece of plywood that has pegs, um, probably about three to four inches long, screwed into it at equal intervals. Um, so it kind of looks like a domino, or excuse me, not a domino, but I don't know. 
I always just think of them as snake boards, but they usually tend to be, it's not, I know this is not actually helpful in this comparison, but they tend to be uniform and stationary because they want to be sturdy. And so the project that we worked on kind of flipped that because the snake board that I created is fully interchangeable uh, to where not only can we constantly change the pieces for novelty for the animals that we work with, but you could come in and you could create something and then have the opportunity to watch an animal interact so you have an opportunity to create enrichment in real time for that animal and see if it goes well or if it crashes and burns, which happens, (laughs) and that's okay. Um, But then that also gives us opportunity to talk about individual interests and whether you have an animal that they might be the same species, but individual needs are different. Uh, And then we can literally, you know, sky's the limit and how many pieces we want to create. If I start learning more about a snake's individual interests, I can create things specifically for them and bring it out just for them. And so it's a really cool thing. And as far as I'm aware, uh, nobody has really done this before in an institution. They all tend to be stationary. So, Well, and so I'm curious, what is it about you and your brain and your safe opossum space that makes you like you have multiple things that you've talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know we're going to talk about at least we're going to get back into that choice mm-hmm. board that you were talking about. Right. Where do you come up with all of this stuff? And like, are you are you trying to get this published? Or are you trying to like what's what where, where what is all of this for you? I don't know. Um, I don't know where it comes from. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know why. What are you doing with your I life? don't know. Um, <laughs> I know. Therapy session. I know. I know that my goals usually aren't focused in... My goal is, for example, for me not to get this traditionally published. I'm here presenting it because I think that it is an idea that can be really fun and engaging, not only for the people that work with these animals, but an opportunity to connect the people that visit us with an animal, especially animals like snakes that are considered, quote-unquote, less charismatic, which I disagree with, but fine. But this became... Part of the reason that I thought about this was thinking about a lot of research that people have put together from other institutions and like the Ace Wildlife Network and how they put this research together into the things that help people feel empathy for animals. And that empathy is kind of an internal motivator that is recognized as increasing somebody's opportunity or the the ability for them later to actually take their own conservation action. Because that is my goal. My goal is for when we leave a conversation, you're going to feel something and want to do something. So how can I, on my end, with the knowledge and research, like the research and tools at my disposal, Men create that opportunity for you um, and make it feel natural and give you an opportunity to engage in a way that you want to engage for you to be able to have opportunities to test something out yourself and learn on your own. It's very different than me just telling you. And so that's usually where everything kind of sits. And then the ideas just come of, well, what if I just tried this? Is it going to work? Is it going to crash and burn? I don't know. What if I try this and then I try something else? It usually just comes between the animals that I work with. They inspire me all the time to create things for them. Um, and then think about the people that I work with and how I can bring people together. Um, and so that's usually where it comes. But the goal isn't for, I'm never going to be rich doing this. And that's fine. I resigned that a long time ago. And the goal isn't necessarily even for research to be published. It's as much as, can I create something? Can I try to share it and give someone else the opportunity to try it too? All right. We'll be back after this quick break. What's all around you, almost everywhere you look, and makes your life better? Birds. Learn all about these beautiful creatures in this wonderful new podcast called Birds of a Feather Talk Together. Two experts guide two newbies on their journey to learn more. 
mallard ducks, ivory-billed woodpeckers, Hawaiian honeycreepers, blue jays, cardinals, sandhill cranes, and more. Each week we discuss a different bird and walk away with a better understanding of the birds all around us. Oh, and we have a ton of fun doing it. Listen now. You're going to like learning about these birds. I guarantee it. Do you feel that this is um, a creative venture in in terms of the fact that you actually are an artist right. and you actually do creative stuff? And as a, as a, another creative, like I know it's important to engage that mm-hmm. side of your brain. Do you think of it like that, or does it does it fulfill you in that way, or is it more the the science nerdy animal side that um, that it gets fulfilled by, or both? I think it's both because oh. I think that, and I see this sometimes with people that I work with, where you can have an idea, but I'm very fortunate in that I can also have the skills to be able to bring them to life. So because I happen to have both skill sets, I'm in a unique position to be able to be like, oh, I had this idea, and then I went to Home Depot, and then now this exists, and I brought it back with me. And I'm able to do that and test things out. And again, just being in the position that I'm at, where my position at the zoo as the program manager for Ambassador and was to literally think of ways to do this. And so... I just happen to have the position and a skill set that can be applied and the interests. And so it all just really works well together. It just happens to overlap that way. Nice. That's really cool. I got scared. You said you said Home Depot. I cannot That is the work. only one that's near me and that's all that I can do. No, 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 yeah. I just I I cannot I have no skills with like tools and like building stuff yeah. and making things. I thought you were gonna and talk about their political leanings. No, 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 okay. I'm not on this podcast. No, okay. no, no. But, I was like, but, I don't have other I'm options. Gonna, yeah, I'm gonna yeah. throw you under the bus right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I literally home people or Depot. loaves. Yeah. Scare me. I there love was one any... time I wanted to surprise Zoe by um making weave poles for our dog because okay. she does agility. And I went in and I was so overwhelmed and I was so uncomfortable. And I like, like, I tried to figure it out and I looked things up online and I was like, it was like, like fighting a literal phobia. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when I first, I was afraid of spiders and I would hold them yeah. to get over it. And I was in there and I was, and I couldn't, and I <clears throat> had to leave, yeah. had to leave, had to leave. I, I, whenever she is like, Hey, let's go to Lowe's. I'm like, can I get Legos at Target first? Like, what if, <laughs> do I get a treat? <laughs> do I get a treat for going to the home improvement store? I also recently we were there. I don't remember why we were there. We were trying to get something. We were actually trying to get a wrench that I need for drumming. Yeah, we were trying to get you a wrench for your drums. And I walked away from you for like 30 seconds. And I came back and the panic look on your face. I was like, I was left alone. Where did you you go? (laughs) The aisles are so tall. (laughs) What happened? There are so many things here that I don't understand. I don't, yeah, no. So anyway, but I I digress. You're like... (laughs) You go in there by yourself. <laughs> it was so You scary. go in there voluntarily. <laughs> but, um, okay, so moving on from that, uh, now that I've made a complete fool of myself okay. again, um, what, um, you were talking about this, like, choice board, this idea mm-hmm. of letting, um, you know, animals, I don't know how many would be involved with this, but, like, pick what they want to do. Mm-hmm. So have you, is that a, a future plan, or have you started doing that at all yet? So or? for that, specifically with Jenny, um, So we would try to create that choice board where she could have these interchangeable pieces. And because she has been able to show um, choice in that way of picking from different options, and there is a lot of other videos and research of people who also have parrots under care or as pets or throughout the world where they've done it with iPads. And so we've seen things like this happen. So we do think it's completely possible with Jenny. Um, With the snakes, it's a little bit different. 
where we aren't 100% sure how to create those options for them and make sure that it's something that they can perceive in the same way that we do. Um, or for example, even with birds, you know, Jenny from a cognitive level and from a visual level, the way that she's perceiving a lot of things is a little bit more similar to us. Snakes is a very different thing. And so figuring out how can we create those options and what does that look like for them. So for them, that choice and enrichment board is where we're creating options and giving them variability to engage with different things. So for example, if we have that enrichment board, half of it would be in the sun, half of it is in the shade. They have the choice to thermoregulate on their own. Um, we might have different pieces. They have the option, for example, with Nuba to either hang out on the board or completely abandon it altogether. <laughs> and as long as he is in a safe situation and we're not threatening the safety or socially psychological safety of participants, he can just hang out and kind of vibe, even if it means hanging out on my boot solely and then I'm stuck. Um, and that's okay. So that's kind of what we look at for that. But for Jenny, we're trying to focus a little bit more in a very intentional, how about these options as well as an opt out how do I end this interaction? And I'm looking to create more opportunities for her like that in all of our programming, creating new jungle gym structures, which do involve going to Home Depot. Yeah. Um, also, by the way. I'm not afraid of snakes, but Home Depot. Okay, great. I'll, I'll, yeah, leave yeah. That, I'll, I'll leave that side of it out of it for you. But creating these things where Jenny can move about safely um, along, you know, a potential presentation area, maybe. Now, the good thing about Jenny is she does tend to seek out a lot of human interaction, but potentially adding in a new layer where maybe if there's a bell, some cue that she can give me. I Right now we just, you know, read behavior. Um, but if she could have something that is so clear of this is the bell, I'm out of here, and adding a lot of those things back in for her. We've also started shifting in her programming rather than giving, if you've been to a lot of historical bird shows, um, that oftentimes there are a lot of trained behaviors. It's I'm gonna hold my hand out, you know you're supposed to come over here. Um, so one of the things that we're trying to apply um, really for Jenny now is thinking about can I give her things like puzzle feeders? Can I give her things that she's going to be able to show her own natural abilities on her own that might not necessarily be trained behaviors until she seeks out that interaction from me? Um, then we can start doing that. And so it's figuring out how can I incorporate that in programming to where it feels natural, to where pretty much my goal for all of these animals in this program is the idea that going with me becomes the best field trip ever, and they'll want to seek out those interactions the most. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I just had a thought that's kind of related yeah. to that idea of her having a behavior that signals I'm done or I want to leave or whatever. For sure. Um, so I know for a lot of program animals and collection animals in general, people will train some sort of consent behavior. Mm -hmm. So like a chin rest or a touch or whatever, a station. Um, so it's like when I'm doing this thing, right. I'm okay. When I stop doing it, everything stops. Right. Um, have you thought about doing something like that with Jenny? Or are you thinking more like there's a specific behavior that means this is over? Jenny's different. Okay. <laughs> um, you will know. So Jenny, everything that we do with her is voluntary yeah. because you will be physically injured if, okay. <laughs> if, it's she, if, if it's not. You will know. But the layer behind that is I just want to create more avenues for her to express something like that. So for yeah. example, um, we recently had a presentation over the summer where our docents help out. It's called our wildlife theater presentation. It happens during the summer. And we had one, and I was really pleased with this. Um, Jenny was our main ambassador featured that day. And the title that I gave the session um, was, 
birds of a feather commit crime together <laughs> <laughs> and stick with it because I fully plan to flush this out and I'm so excited for it. Um, but it is something where we wanted to talk about sulfur-crested cockatoos and their life in Australia. And we were able to kind of incorporate Jenny's behavior of puzzle feeders because what sulfur-crested cockatoos do, are you already aware of their relationship with human development and all that jazz in Australia? I mean, it doesn't matter if I am. You're talking to a whole audience here. Okay. Well, they break into trash cans. Like, hardcore. Wow. And it's yeah, they do. Lovely. It Flying is fantastic. They are fantastic. Amazing. They break into trash cans, but not only do they break into the trash cans, but there's actually where they teach each other to break into trash cans. So, for example, in 2019, um, and specific behaviors. So, different flocks might have a different strategy. So, they kind of are starting to show culture. So, no. you might have. That's amazing. I was not aware Three of neighborhoods that. that can, you know, break into a trash can in a specific way and then give it a couple years and then over 100 neighborhoods, 100 flocks. And bearing in mind, this, these flocks can have hundreds of birds. And so they are teaching each other. And then when you have humans that are trying to stop them, they're learning from us. Then when one figures out how to crack the code, they teach everybody else. So it's basically us competing against cockatoos and how to keep all the trash in the trash can. And so, <laughs> and it sounds like they're winning for the record. Yes. Yeah, so so far, they figured out if they put a brick on top of it and like stab a stick into it, like they haven't gotten that one yet. So here's my idea for what I want to do for Jenny. So again, sulfur-crested cockatoos is also one creates opportunity to show how incredibly intelligent they are. Also, the importance of flock and communication and the social interactions that Jenny would need. Jenny, unfortunately, as I've shared before, is a victim of the illegal wildlife trade. She lives by herself, and we, as her caretakers and you know the keepers who work with her and our education staff, we provide a lot of that social interaction for her. Um, and so she is considered non-releasable, one, because of her experience that way. She also um, has cancer and had a partial wing amputation, um, so she's not able to fly. So there's kind of those layers to that, right? But so what I wanted to do was the birds of a feather commit crime together is I gave her these puzzle feeders because for Jenny, if she usually figures them out like a shot, but if she doesn't, she will break into it by actually unscrewing the back of it. And she won't get into it traditionally. And so I gave her two. And the first one, she got so fast. But then the second one, she started getting frustrated. And you could watch her. And I'm talking, and I'm kind of talking a little bit about her and explaining some of her behaviors. And we'll watch. And then suddenly you just see she's gotten the butterfly kind of thing off the back and the whole thing pops open. <laughs> so she completely took the entire thing apart to get inside, even though she was able to get into the other one. So again, just kind of showing those things. And I was like, this is so fun. And so figuring out, like, one, giving her those options to be able to do those behaviors. But then Jenny also will seek out um, my attention during these. And the ways that I can safely engage with her will be trained behaviors. So... My ideas for the future is creating where, one, she can have all the opportunities to either, you know, be able to choose to disengage if she has something that cues, okay, I'm done, um, giving her options for puzzle feeders, or if she has the choice to seek out social and human interaction, which she does, and if I don't give it to her, she rebels, and then it becomes unsafe for people. Um, she threatened to climb down the pole. And I had to say Jennifer, which is her government name, her in trouble name. <laughs> and then she stops, and then I'll call her up farther because, you know, nobody wants a loose cockatoo roaming around. 
especially if you know what they can do. And so calling her up and then engaging her in training behaviors. Um, and because one of the things we also are really careful about is even though physical contact is very, you know, reinforcing for her, we try to model best behavior whenever we're out with the public. So if they see Jenny is a very cuddly cockatoo, then they'll be like, she must be so lovely. Maybe I could get one. Right. And then we do not want to reinforce any of that. So I'm always very careful about what I can and can't do in front of the public. And so that's one of the things I don't do. And so coming up with other things that can be very fun for her. And so one of the other ideas that I had as a trained behavior is getting our own trash can and teaching her to how to break into it. And not only the same strategies that cockatoos out in the wild do, because it's actually a behavior that occurs out in the wild, uh, but also I would love to research the methods that all the humans have come up with so I can teach her how to break all of them. And my plan, <laughs> and I can see it, is if this is something that she becomes interested in that she starts to choose to do, um, telling everyone, you know, Jenny doesn't have a flock to teach her how to break into trash cans, so I taught her instead. And I just think it's going to be so much fun. And creating things in her, she loves, loves, loves. We call them destructo boxes. Oh so it's gosh. basically cardboard boxes and paper, and she just tears everything. Because she's, she's a cockatoo. It's what they do. Yeah. So thinking about how I can make that so much fun and so reinforcing for her, maybe there's a destructo box on the inside and she's able to open it and she's able to use her brain in the same way that they're doing in the wild and break into it. And then it becomes this wonderful educational moment, not only about cockatoos and their intelligence and, you know, urban wildlife and how you can have those interactions, but even try to apply to especially in California when we think about or even over on the West Coast when we talk about how animals like other bears might be breaking into trash cans. How can we start to frame that conversation around the next time you get super frustrated? I want you to think about the level of intelligence that is needed and the skills that they have to want to find your trash. How did they get there? What is that whole process? And hopefully, even if you're frustrated with the trash can situation, have a little bit more appreciation for the animal and how they got there in the first place. Wow. So next That's summer, really birds cool. of a feather can they grow together. That's and then so you good. can come and watch it. It'd be so fun. <laughs> I love it. Also, just for everybody listening, I need you to understand that as much as you can hear the pride in Sarah's voice every time she says that yes. title, you should see her face. <laughs> I'm thrilled. I, I thought mean, it was hilarious. It's, I mean, and I do too. Yes. But it's, it's amazing. Yes. I also appreciate that multiple times now you've just been like, you don't have that relationship with my bird yet. And you keep saying, yeah, you can come out. Like, you're just a country away. You're right. That's all. Yeah. I, I believe uh, in hope. I do too. I actually, well, you know, I, I yes. booked a show out there last year and yes. I was going to come back right. and then I had to back out of it and I've been offered another one out there next summer wow. that again, I don't know if I can take yet, okay. but like that could be very fingers convenient. crossed. Yes. yes. Because you obviously need to keep coming back because yes. we love you on here and everybody Yay. loves you. So yeah. Do you, do you have a question or are you just cuddling a Highland cow? I'm, I'm really jealous. Okay. I really want one. I'm going to do my best to get one. I don't know. I didn't hear one. I yeah. Find them. Yeah. So we're at the conference right now for those listening and confused because I'm not cutting that. Um, <laughs> there was the opportunity to, um, to get stuffed animals that are, um, really, really cool. And they like, they, they fluff them for you here. They yeah. stuff them for you here. And, um, they are a really cool company known as the Bear Factory. Yes. And it's so, all sustainable and recycled yeah, materials and stuff. And it's really cool. And, uh, I got an anteater and Zoe got a Highland cow and, um, Sarah got jealous because yes. she also wants a Highland I cow. I got jealous. That's what it is. Yep. <laughs> all right. Cool. Um, are there any conservation organizations that you would like to give a shout out to? Um, there's so many, but then one of the ones that's coming to my mind right now that I had the opportunity to engage a lot with throughout this past year was River Partners in California, who not only do so much work in working with community-led programming and getting a lot of local um, kind of buy-in and investment, 
um, but they also are really wonderful in working with indigenous communities and working to save endangered species like the riparian brush rabbit, which is one of our, they are one of our conservation partners for the Oakland Zoo, and peppermint narwhal, who, I don't know if you noticed earlier, they have, I don't know how many, four or five pins, Oakland Zoo pins, from the animals that we do um, recovery and rescue work for. So riparian brush rabbit, yellow-legged frog, mountain lion, California condor, and the black-crowned night heron. So five. Okay, now wait. Peppermint narwhal is amazing. Yes. We know that. Their yes. their animal calendars are where I get yes. my, my animal holidays for Zoom. Yes, I just bought um, one today. They, they actually gave me some to do as a giveaway, <gasps> for, which is astonishing. They were just so sweet about it um, for the podcast. I know. But... I sent you a picture of an opossum pin with, I bought with baby it. opossums. Okay, just want to make sure. It's, <laughs> it's in this bag okay, right I now. I wanted to make sure as you're talking about this that you got no, that No, I did pin. buy it, yes. Okay, because I literally told Zoe if you didn't, I was going to buy it for you no, for taking the time worry. to do this. I bought so. one and then I bought okay, a perfect. rattlesnake one. So okay, I got to. perfect. You, you need to do what we're doing on the name badges and, and pin them on there. But anyway, yes. enough of this. It is time. It's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show. But there's one tale left to go. You're gonna laugh and say, oh no. It's time for the Rasafari poop story. Okay, so I thought long and hard about this. And I feel like some of my favorite poop stories... Poop story. ...are with Jenny and another one of our parrots, a yellow-knifed Amazon named Brock, where no matter the timing, they will poop at the worst possible moment during a presentation. And it is to this point, I think it is truly intentional. Um, I really do because of the reaction that it gets Mm -hmm. with Jenny specifically. Jenny also has this really wonderful habit, um, of she'll be, she'll be there and I will be talking and I will be looking at you and she will sit behind me and just nod and she'll look at me and nod as if she is in on the joke. And then there will be a silence and then she will poop and then (laughs) everybody like loses it. And so that's one of my favorite ones. That's one of my favorite is just her her timeliness with it, um, the way you can't be mad. I love it. And you're like, great, I, I have to clean that up later. But you know what? You did wait for a dramatic pause. <laughs> you waited until you had everyone's attention, and then you went for it. Amazing. Awesome. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Yeah. I am grateful to have you back on, and I'm grateful that we've become friends. It's I so know. cool. I'm so inspired by the stuff that you're doing right now, and I really can't wait to see where it keeps going. Yay. It's so exciting, and I'm looking forward to you coming and seeing uh, the panels and stuff and getting to see mm. more of it yourself. Yay. <laughs> Sarah is always so inspirational, and I loved all of that so much. Um, Unfortunately, there uh, is an addition to this episode, uh, which I wanted to let uh, Sarah share with you directly. So uh, here she is. Earlier this year, we had to say goodbye to Jenny, the sulfur-crested cockatoo, one of Oakland Zoo's longest-running ambassadors. She was with us for over 35 years. And while I was only able to work with her for the last two years, she was one of the funniest, most charismatic, most challenging animals that I have ever gotten the honor of working with. And she was always so much fun and such a challenge in all of the best ways. She gave us so many opportunities to think outside the box and be creative with her and creative to do things for her, like teaching her how to paint and setting up all of her own stations. And 
I will miss her every single day. I'm sorry to end the episode on such a down note, but sometimes that happens. And I love that this episode gets to uh, stand as a tribute to the amazing life that Jenny lived and the amazing relationship that Jenny and Sarah shared with each other. It's actually a really, really beautiful thing. So, uh, Sending condolences to uh, to Sarah and to the entire team at the Oakland Zoo for that loss. And um, actually, I, I have to say on a more personal level, I'm kind of grateful that uh, I was uh, with Sarah shortly after she found out uh, back in September, uh, actually at the conference. And um, I, I was one of the people able to help distract and, and lift her up a bit. And uh, it's always amazing to be able to be there for people in those times. Um, I was so impressed with how she went about the rest of her days and even presenting more at the conference and everything. Um, just, just an incredibly cool person and uh, just, just a, a beautiful soul. So uh, grateful to get to share a little bit of that in my life and to share that with all of you. It truly is a privilege. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Rossi. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo. Steiderk. Still, still had to get it in there somewhere.